Well, this morning we are continuing a series that we've been doing, but taking a slight turn. Uh, we're in the middle of something that's going to take us uh, probably another year and a half, two years to finish. Uh, a survey of every part of Scripture, 66 books in the Bible, and the, the goal is to spend a week on each one, uh, asking the question, what has God given us here? What is it that we are to treasure from this part of His Word? We call it learning to love God's Word. We just spent a few weeks going through some of the letters of the Apostle Paul. Today we'll shift to the Old Testament and spend five weeks going through uh, what are called the, the wisdom books of the Old Testament. And uh, here's a list of those, starting with the book of Job. And um, they're in that order so that they might make a nice pyramid when you put it. <laughs> no, not really. Um, it just turns out that way, right? Um, so today we'll be beginning with the book of Job, but... All five of these books are together called the wisdom books because they, they ask and answer a common set of questions. And here are those questions we'll be wrestling through today, but we'll be intersecting with these kinds of issues over the next few weeks. What is wisdom and why do we need it and where do we get it? We start with the book of Job. Uh, written six to eight hundred years before the time of Jesus. The story itself may be far older than that. We're not entirely certain. Most people would say, if they've heard anything about the book of Job from the Bible, they would say, oh yeah, Job, that's the one about suffering. Job loses his children. He loses his livelihood, he loses his own health, and then for many chapters he sits dialoguing and debating with his friends who have got it all figured out. Job, you're suffering because God's mad at you because you did something really bad. Job suffers, his friends try to help him understand his suffering, and then in the background is this question, this spiritual battle between God and Satan, and Satan is challenging God and saying, the only reason Job loves you is because he has never suffered. And I believe that if he suffers, he will stop loving you. So there's a whole lot in this book about suffering. But the main theme of the book is actually wisdom. And the premise of the book is that suffering, like the kind Job goes through, exposes the limits of human wisdom. It exposes our need for a wisdom greater than what we ourselves can come up with. Our understanding of suffering is limited, so we become like Job's friends, saying, oh, we've got a part of it figured out, therefore we've got all of it figured out. And so we're going to hear a reading this morning from what is the central chapter of the book of Job, chapter 28. It's a a poem about wisdom, and it won't say anything about suffering, but it's, it's 
it's teasing out this question of the hard times in life make us run up against things where our wisdom comes to an end. Left to ourselves, we will not understand how to make sense of this world. But you'll hear at the end of this reading that because God is good and gracious, he does not leave us to ourselves. Jim, will you come and read for us? Thank you. Our reading this morning is from Job chapter 28, verses 12 through 28. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? Man does not comprehend its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, with precious onyx or sapphires. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. Where then can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say only a rumor of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it. And he alone knows where it dwells, for he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to man, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So after after hearing those words, it feels like it would be wrong to not stop and ask God to give us wisdom. Let's pray together. Father, without your help, we would not know where wisdom comes from. Without your help, we, we would hear your words and hope that they would make us more wise so that we could rely more on our wisdom. Give us new hearts that see it a totally different way that the more we understand of true wisdom, the more we will depend and rely on wisdom that comes from outside of us, that comes from you. Jesus, uh, the New Testament says that you have become for us wisdom. 
righteousness, redemption. Would you show us yourself today? Give us wisdom, we pray in your name. Amen. So we want to begin with that question we mentioned earlier. What, what is wisdom? Now we have to stop here, put on the brakes for a moment. Don't go quite so fast because most of us probably would lean toward saying, well, I know wisdom is bigger than this, but wisdom is mostly being smart. Wisdom is mostly having a sharp intellect. Wisdom is mostly who's got more brain power than everybody else. And because of that, we tend to assume that wisdom and formal education overlap. Now, if we took the time, we would say that's not true. We know plenty of educated fools. Um, but there's still a sense of if, if we don't stop to define wisdom, we will gravitate toward just identifying wisdom with being very intelligent. When the Bible uses the language of wisdom, it is talking about skill and living. Wisdom is skill and living. Let's sharpen that up a bit. It's skill in living the kind of life that fits the world we live in. Wisdom is being skilled at what I will call living with the grain of the universe. So if, if you don't know how to read the grain of a piece of wood, you will get splinters, Right? If you run your hand across the grain of this piece of wood, you're good. It'll feel rough. You'll know it's there. You'll know that you've come into contact with it. But it won't hurt you. And if you run your hand with the grain of the wood, we have this long railing on a set of stairs on our deck that looks about like this. It's been there a while. And going down the stairs, you're good because you're going with the grain of the wood. No problem. But going up the stairs, you're going against the grain of the wood. Ah, that hurts. (laughs) Splinters. If you don't know how to read the grain of the wood, then when you come into contact with it in the wrong way, you will know it. It will hurt. Wisdom is a word that says... That's what life in this world is like. There is a world bigger than us, outside of us. And if we don't learn to respect its boundaries, then when we come into contact with it, it can hurt us and it can hurt other people. So we need to develop skill at living in this world, living with the grain of the world, not living against it. Because we don't want to get hurt, and we don't want other people to get hurt. And, and so it's, it's that perspective on wisdom that helps us to see really all of God's commandments and instructions for us in a very different way, right? Because we, we tend to say, oh, God's commandments mean don't touch the wood. Don't come into contact with the world. It's bad. 
But God's commandments aren't that at all. God's commandments are a way of saying, live with the grain of the world. Live in a way that won't hurt you. Live in a way that won't hurt someone else. Here are my directions on how to find the grain and live with it. Everybody you ever meet wants to live with the grain of the world. Nobody you know likes splinters. It's something we have in common with everyone around us. And God, in his mercy and grace, says, let, let, me, let me give you wisdom. Let me teach you how to live with the grain of the universe. That's what wisdom is. That, that gives some new meaning to a part of Intown's vision statement that says we want to pursue cultural engagement that promotes renewal and contributes to the common good. Common good. Nobody wants to get splinters. Nobody wants to crash up into the world around us in a way that hurts. So when we get a biblical vision for wisdom, God is equipping us to help other people around us avoid the splinters. So that's what wisdom is. It's skill in living, the kind of life that fits the world that we live in. Next question. Why do we need it? If that's what wisdom is, why do we need it? Well... First off, the book of Job would say to us, we need it because the world we live in is broken. It is fragmented. Things are coming apart. When you read Job's story, the, the number of ways in which he's suffering are staggering. Personal. He loses his own children. They all die in one tragic accident. Financially, his whole livelihood is wiped out. Physically, his own body is racked with pain from head to toe, the story tells us. He's suffering intellectually, trying to make sense of what's going on. Psychologically, spiritually, God, where are you? What's going on? I know I haven't done anything wrong, but my friends keep saying I have, and why don't you show up? And show that I am right and that they're wrong. And then he's, he's suffering socially too in his relationships. His relationships with these friends and even with his wife are strained by what's happening to him. No wonder we need wisdom to live in a world where everything can fall apart. And sometimes it all falls apart at the same time. We need wisdom because the world is broken. And it's fragmented. And it takes a lot of skill to know how to live wisely in that kind of world. But the book of Job has another signal to send us here. It's not just that the world is broken. It's that the world where we live is full of all kinds of easy answers that will only hurt us further. And, and that's what Job's friends represent in the book. They've got it figured out. Job, your life is hard. Therefore, God is mad at you. Therefore, you did something very bad. So fess up. What was it? Tell us. What would you do, Job? 
In chapter 31, he goes through a long list. He says, I didn't lust at a woman. I didn't try to seduce another man's wife. I didn't mistreat my employees. I didn't value riches more than I love God. I was a generous man to the poor. I didn't see the needs of others and ignore them. Come on, Joe, fess up. What'd you do? We got it figured out. You see, we found this one piece of the puzzle, this one part of truth. And that truth says that sometimes people suffer because they have done wicked things. Sometimes life is hard because you have done evil. And it's coming back on your head. We have got that piece of the truth, Job. Therefore, we have the whole truth. And now we're going to fix you with it. That's the easy answer. I've, I've bumped up against the wood of the world and I've touched something real therefore I've touched everything there is to touch I got it all figured out and I can fix you with my answers that makes me think of um, this place this is uh, King's College in Aberdeen, Scotland Uh, Trisha and I moved there after I finished seminary, lived there for two years uh, for me to study at this university. And um, once every few years, the sun shines, and they apparently... <laughs> it is Scotland, after all. A lot, of, a lot of gray mist, rain, clouds. They send the photographers out, you know, on the sunny days. So I hate to give a false impression but the ph- photographers don't like to take the, the gray, rainy picture, so this is it. Where we, during those couple of years, and many of you have heard these stories, just things were falling apart, right? We were very far away from friends and family. We were trying to make new relationships in a culture that's pretty reserved, where it takes time to form deep friendships. Once formed, they're lifelong and glorious. But it's a pretty lonely thing when you're trying to form these new relationships. We're brand new parents with a five-month-old baby trying to figure that out. We are living off of zero income and don't know where it's going to come from. Uh, Therefore, we have to live in public housing uh, in the very worst neighborhood in all the city. If we ever got into a taxi and told the cab driver where we were going, his eyes would get really big. Because he assumed that I was there working with the oil industry that's based in Aberdeen, and most Americans in the city are working for the oil industry. So there were lots of misconceptions about who we were. We were put in a box because of our nationality and got to experience a little bit of what that's like for people to make all kinds of wrong assumptions about you just because of where you're from. Trying to figure out all these things, dealing with depression. Trisha is uh, profoundly unhappy, and she's married to a man who has no clue and doesn't really want to know. And in the middle of all that, um, we experience the pain of a miscarriage and neither of us will be able to forget the day that we heard our easy answer standing on a street corner 
as a person who intended well, said to us, Oh, don't worry, God will give you another child. Factually, true. Gave us three more children. He did not give us that child again. There's wisdom in the book of Job. When you read the end of the book, it says that, that God caused him to prosper again. So this, this person had a piece of the truth. Job 42, verse 12. God blessed him again. But this person missed chapter 42, verse 11 that says that Job's brothers and sisters and friends came and broke bread with him at his table and comforted him and gave him sympathy for all the evil he had endured. The story has hope at the end, but first it goes through pain. Easy answers tend to remember only one half of that. Oh, it's all going to be good. Oh, it's all miserable and there's no goodness. Easy answers. Forget the whole story. Now, remembering that whole story should come second nature to people who know Jesus. The story of Jesus does end in glory and joy and goodness. There are real answers There is real hope. There is real truth in this universe that leads to a much better place than where we find ourselves in the midst of all of our suffering and sorrow. But the answers we have are not easy answers because before Jesus' story went there, it went through the agony of crucifixion. And the shame and the sorrow and the loss. So yes, we have answers. But they are not easy. Knowing Jesus tells us that much, doesn't it? It tells us we need both parts of Job chapter 42. That we sit and we grieve and we know and we listen and we learn And we share the pain and then we share together the goodness that follows. Wow. We need wisdom because we don't want to be hurt by easy answers. And we don't want to hurt other people by giving them easy answers either. So, wisdom is a kind of skill at living in this world that won't create more splinters and more pain. We need it so that we won't be hurt and we won't hurt others living in this world. So how do we get it? How do we get this wisdom? Well, let's listen to an ancient Middle Easterner whose culture is different from our own but who lives in the very same world that we do. And listen to the answer given here. 
we won't get wisdom by looking for it real hard. We can't find it using our ingenuity. Job chapter 28, we didn't read the whole chapter, but verses 1 through 14 are this long poem about mining technology and all the ways that ancient people had discovered to find riches beneath the surface of the earth. And it's all building up to the point of saying, use all your ingenuity, all your cleverness, all your technology, and you will not find the answer to how to live skillfully in this world. You can't find it, and you can't buy it. So chapter 28 takes a turn. And after verse 14 says we can't find it, verse 15 says it cannot be bought with gold, with silver, with gold, with onyx, with gold or crystal, with jewels of gold, coral, and jasper, and everything. It's like put it all together. You can't. Your resources won't find you wisdom. Your ingenuity won't find you wisdom. It's got to come from somewhere else. Where does it come from? God understands the way to it. He's the only one who knows where wisdom lives. For he views the ends of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens. God is the creator He is wiser than we are. We can't find it and we can't buy it, but he can give it to us as a gift. How does he come to have that wisdom? Well, because he's the creator. And so these incredible images, God has weighed the weightless He established the the force of the wind. Another way to translate that is he established the weight of the wind. He says how much the wind itself weighs. He weighs the weightless. He measured the immeasurable. He measured the oceans. Rain and lightning have to ask him for permission before they move. Now that can sound like an easy answer, right? Oh, God's the creator, and he said to man, the fear of the Lord is wisdom, to shun evil is understanding. Sounds a bit like an easy answer. I don't understand the world, so I'm going to make up a myth about a creator. Let's not insult the intelligence of the person who wrote this ancient poem. If you spend 42 chapters meditating on wisdom in the context of suffering. And if people from every nation for millennia have said, this is one of the most profound reflections on these themes we've ever read, even if we disagree with it, profound. Let's not dismiss this person's intelligence by saying after all that careful reflection, they tried to solve the problem with an easy answer. After spending dozens of chapters saying, don't listen to the easy answers of Job's friends, listen to my easy answer instead. No, no, we can't do that. That is intellectually dishonest. 
And if our Christianity is going to mean anything, and our rejection of Christianity is going to mean anything, it's got to be intellectually honest. So let's start there. The fear of the Lord is wisdom. Saying the world is like this. Imagine that the world we live in is this puzzle. And we see enough to know that it's broken and fragmented and that the pieces do not fit the way they're supposed to. Justice doesn't just happen. We have to work for it. Weeds just happen. But flowers you have to cultivate. Forgetting math just happens. But getting skill at math so you can live better in this world takes effort and work. The pieces fall apart. They fly apart without any effort. It is a broken world. Sorrows multiply faster than joys. And at any given moment, everything could be right, but you don't know for how long. We get a sense. It's not an easy answer. We look at the world we actually live in and we go, this place is broken. Things do not fit together right. But at the same time, there seems to be evidence that it's not just random either. Because every piece of the world we come into contact with has these marks of, of potential beauty and goodness. That if somehow we could get to a place where the pieces fit together right, there's a whole lot of good here. There's a whole lot of joy. I mean, sometimes we have to sing songs of sorrow and sadness, but man, they're songs. They're beautiful. They're crafted poetry and imagery and they express the heart and the soul and they're played on instruments that took craftsmanship and skill to build and where did the strings for that guitar come from anyway? Somebody figured out how to dig metal out of the earth and what? Heat it up and pound it and wrap it and string it and tighten it and now it's... So even when we sing songs of sadness... There's marks on that broken piece of the puzzle that say, there's something good here. And we may not know how it all fits together, but it surely doesn't seem to be random. It's not an easy answer to say there's a creator, right? We're saying we are looking at the evidence of the world we live in, and in this world there is brokenness, and in this world there is goodness. And so we believe... That it's not random that somebody somewhere knows how the puzzle fits together. That somebody started with a coherent image and design. And if that somebody offers to tell me how to live skillfully in this fragmented world, I will listen. That's what the Bible means when it says fear of the Lord. I'm going to listen to the Creator tell me. He's the one who wove the grain into the wood of the world. So I'm going to listen to Him tell me how to live with the grain and not against. That's where wisdom starts. 
another picture. In Aberdeen is a, um, let's see, I wonder if the battery on this guy has decided to die right in the middle of things. There we go. The building I showed you earlier is part of the University of Aberdeen uh, that was built in 1495. Um, and, and this gate uh, is a few yards up the street, part of the new part of the college, which was built in 1912, right? So I talked to one of my professors one time and said, hey, is it time for you to get new bookshelves in your office? And he said, yeah, but I won't be getting them anytime soon because they just recently updated this building. I said, when was recent? He said, I think the 1860s. (laughs) Well, I guess if the building is built in 1495, that's pretty recent. So in a newer part of campus, there's this gate, and it has the, the university motto inscribed on it. It's difficult to read here because it's small, and it's Latin. <laughs> Initium sapientiae timor domini. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. We live in a world that's going to ask us many times to choose Either you can live in this world skillfully, study the pieces of the puzzle, work with us, figure out how they fit together. But in order to do that with any meaning, you're going to have to give up the sense that there is a creator who knows how it all fits together. You can live in the world, engage the culture, get skillful at what you do to live in this world. But to do that, you have to give up fear of the Lord. And so as I would walk to the library every day to learn more about contemporary philosophy and ethics and biblical studies, I was studying how Jesus forms disciples' ethics. I knew every day I was going to be asked to make that choice. Either you can become a smart scholar and give up confidence that God has something to say to us in the New Testament. Or you can keep fear of the Lord and be a shoddy academician. Easy answers, fear the Lord. Real answers, engage the world. And I walked through that gate many days precisely because I wanted to pray. I would go out of my way to walk under it. Lord, do not let me make that choice today. I don't have to choose. Job 28 tells me I can learn a whole lot about technology and still fear the Lord. Job 28 uses five different words for gold. I can love language and literature and craft this 42-chapter-long poem and still fear the Lord. I don't have to give up living in this world to fear the Lord. In fact, starting with honor and reverence and respect for him and trust in him is the only way I will learn to live skillfully in this world. And I can get good at living in this world in a way that that helps keep other people from getting the splinters. And where does all this come from? 
It comes from a deep sense that the world is both profoundly broken and very good, that the pieces are fragmented and yet they have a design and purpose. We have seen too much to let those around us crash into the universe and harm themselves and others. We have seen in the person of Christ what it means to live skillfully in this world. We have seen in the crucifixion how God steps into suffering in order to break its power. And we have seen in the resurrection what it will look like when all the pieces that now fly apart come back together. We have seen too much to make the choice and say, we will give up the world or we will give up fear of the Lord. We have seen enough to know that the two can be held together if we start with fearing the Lord. That's wisdom. Jesus has become for us our wisdom, righteousness, redemption. He gives flesh and blood to what Job was longing for. That's good to know. It's good news. Let's take a moment and give thanks for that good news as we prepare to worship around the Lord's table. Lord Jesus, it doesn't surprise us that our Bible has stories about suffering in it. Because at the heart of all we believe is you laying down your life for us. Jeb's friends had it wrong. Not every person who suffers suffers because God is mad at them for doing something bad. You suffered dearly, Jesus. And God was mad at you because we did something bad. Thank you for doing that to put the pieces back together again. Change us today as we do what you called us to do. Eat and drink in remembrance of you. Amen.